honored to have one of the most prolific wrestlers in Colorado right now on the horn with me right now. Say what's up. Mr. Chongo, it like I obviously don't need to introduce you. It's a pleasure to have you. Thanks for having me tonight, man. Thank you for having me, good sir. It is a sincere pleasure. Now, uh, when I first met you, was at a CSW show, and you didn't know me from Adam. But the I, I got to tell you my first impression of you because it was I don't like rich things. I don't like rich people. I don't like people that flaunt who they are. Now, I met you, and you looked me right in the motherfucking eyes, and you said, hello, you shook my hand like a man, and said, how you doing tonight, man? How can I help you? Like, you didn't even know I was running sound. Like, if anything, you would have thought I was just some mark wearing this marked out vest that uh, got a million patches and shit on it. But the the impression I got, like, uh, like if you ever watched The Dead Zone, when you shake someone's hand and all of a sudden he saw the future, what I saw in you was a guy that would give someone on the shirt off their back I saw someone that gives money to homeless people that doesn't judge people that was the immediate impression I got of you I had no idea your accolades in MMA I had no idea that because I'd only just recently get started watching Charged on uh, Twitch um, I had no idea who the hell you are man but the impression I got was that and then then I saw you because I was wandering around during the matches, doing the uh, the the, inter- the the commentary, and you were a fucking stick of dynamite, man. Like <laughs> I was like, and then Randy, I was like, who the fuck is that guy? And he's like, dude, that's Chongo. What are you fucking stupid? And <laughs> I was like, I guess so. And he's like, listen, don't piss him off. <laughs> Why not? He's like, he's. He will he will snap you in half, but he probably won't. He'll probably warn you. He was he was, he was just he was just joking, man. But uh, I am getting the impression after the Black Lives Matter show from the other day. Sorry, I'm running on and on uh, to start the show. That my initial impression of you was absolutely 100 percent accurate. Well, um, first, I guess I thank you. That is high praise, and I I am honored that uh, that. I was that you took that you took me that way because you know man I mean I can only be myself I don't you know as you've as you've gotten to know me better you you can probably attest to this what you see is what you get I'm not passive aggressive I'm aggressive aggressive but man yeah I don't I give everyone the respect and the merit of being a fellow human and I have nothing but love and respect in my heart for every single person I meet and even the people that you know, that are mis- misguided and misled in this world, man, I, I don't wish bad things on them, I just want to, I just hope that they can, they can find their way out of that, you know what I'm saying, so, Agreed. that means a lot that, that you thought that, but yes, and Randy was not wrong, by the way, yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah, it, it, assessment it, on all accounts. It's, it's one of those things, like, I mean, I grew up in punk rock bars and industrial metal and 
like you name it, like you can tell that I grew up hardcore goth just from looking at me. But you didn't give me the shit that other people did because I could tell that you've got the same shit put on you too, just because we look like how we look, you know. Uh, you know, it's uh, I always tell everyone gypsies and carnies, you know. And <laughs> what better <laughs> fucking gypsy and carny than this guy? I'm on the phone with right now. Um, we're we're gonna talk about some deep stuff later on in the show, but. I, I do want to get to know you. Uh, like, uh, can you uh, tell us a little bit about your accolades? You know, you've, you've got a lot of uh, medals. You've got, I mean, your your MMA, your your pro wrestling. Uh, what are you most proud of? Well, I suppose uh, unequivocally, I'm most proud of my son. I knew you were going to say that. Junior. I've got it written down. You I know? knew he's going to say that. I knew it. I knew it. Thank you. Keep going. Keep going. Oh yes, you, you had that. You had that panel in the in the in the uh, poll, eh? Yes, Chungo Junior. You know, he's he's amazing, and and you know, a lot of parents say that about their kids, but he really is the greatest thing I've ever done. And I'm I'm proud to be his father. I'm proud to watch what he does in this world, not just in terms of like, you know, cool sounding accomplishments, but just of the person that he is gonna be and who he already is. So that first and foremost. Uh, that outweighs everything else I've done in my life put together. So that would be the the top, the apex of, yeah. of my accomplishments. Now, he's going to be a major subject matter later on uh, when we get a little bit deeper. But let's talk about, like, okay, so obviously uh, collegiate uh, football player, you, you end up meeting uh, Tito Ortiz, you all become bros, you start becoming a world traveler. Next thing you know, uh, where are you from? Because you, you, well, you you've obviously done your homework, old bean. So okay, so I grew up. I split time between Seattle and Long Beach growing up. I grew up in some pretty pretty rough neighborhoods where people. I was the minority in my neighborhood, which gave me a lot of uh, unique perspective. Let's say you know, um, it gave me a real understanding of things beyond what I think a lot of people have in terms of understanding what's outside of their own bubble. Right. Um, I grew up and I, I, I earned respect in my neighborhood through boxing, wrestling, and football. I parlayed that into uh, going to college. I, I wrestled and played football in college. Uh, I started out at Golden West Junior College, which was the same college that Tito Ortiz had gone to. I wrestled for Don Garriott, who was the same uh, college coach Tito had. Tito found me in the uh, wrestling room freshman year. Brought me over to HB Ultimate Team Punishment as basically a sparring dummy. Uh, I worked my way up, uh, training, doing rounds with him, Rampage Jackson, Tito Ortiz, Chick Congo, Michael Bisbing, the whole the whole list of apex predators over there. And um, I found out that I had some pretty pretty high aptitude for the fight game. Um, I ended up I made I played three years arena football. At the same time, I was also competing in MMA and, and jiu-jitsu. I made the U.S. national team. I was the first American ever to win the IBJJF U.S. nationals four times. Uh, I also medaled in the Pan Ams and World Games. Now, um, I was very fortunate to have the coaching, uh, the access to the coaching that I had. And, um, yeah, I got to travel, got to, you know, I got to... Experience life through the medium of a professional mixed martial artist. But before we get to that, before before we get to yeah. that, I, I want to rewind to something a little bit more meaningful. Um, forgive sure. me, for me, forgive me for making the assumption: poor white kid growing in a black neighborhood. 
Yeah, yeah, no, that's accurate. Now, what was it? I played football for Compton, man. I played football for Compton and Long Beach. What years? What years? Uh, I played, I played 04 and 05 at Long Beach State, and I played for Compton in, gosh, uh, 95? Now, now, I know that... Little League, I don't even remember what year that was. Yeah, probably 95-ish. Now, you started traveling the world through MMA, but the real lessons yeah. were learned at home on the street, weren't they? Uh, oh, yeah. Now, you had to, you've had to prove yourself in the arenas of MMA and also pro wrestling. How did you prove yourselves on the streets? You know, that's, that's a pretty... Uh, pretty gnarly conversation so I mean I mean it started out I was the victim of violence based on the way that I looked being the minority in my neighborhood correct that's the only thing actually I'll tell you okay I'll tell you the story of how how that came to a head okay I was playing football for a program called the CAYA Yellow Jackets Seven different guys that made it to the NBA were on that program with me, okay. including Nate Robinson, three-time slam dunk champion, Brandon Roy, who was NBA Rookie of the Year. To give you an idea of the caliber of athletes that I was, that I was in, you know, that were my peers at this time, I got basically jumped by my teammates after practice one of the first days, and my coach called called everybody over and he said, "Let's call a spade a spade." Shit! And he took my help. Holy shit! <laughs> Yeah, I was, and so that was, that was, uh, Nate Sr., who was an NFL running back before that, had a lot of respect in the community, and he really wanted to help me, because he knew I was getting beat up on the way home from school and stuff. I mean, that's why I started wrestling and boxing when I was nine years old. It was out of necessity for self-defense. But he said, let's, he said, that's exactly what he said. He said, let's call a spade a spade. He came to practice the next day, and he had stripped my helmet. I'm the only white kid on the team. He had stripped my helmet, so I had a white helmet. Okay. Which... Which is kind of fucked up, right? Right. Excuse my language, but that was the point. And he made me keep that helmet for the entire preseason, through the scrimmage and everything, right? To the point where my own teammates who had been, you know, not accepting me were like, this is messed up. This is our guy. Why is he doing this? But then what ended up happening, we bonded, we came together. And That's before exactly the first why game, we got it. our new uniforms. We did this big, like, you know, ceremonial thing that we would do when we got our uniforms. And he gave me the first helmet and he said... Boys, this is your brother now. He has earned his stripes. He has earned his colors. If you see anybody messing with him in the neighborhood, if you see anybody messing with him at school, it is your duty to defend him and back him up like you would anyone else on this team. How old were you? And I was nine years old. Okay. And after after that, that, that changed my life, man. And that, that sort of was a symbolic uh, induction into the community. And after that, I was truly embraced by my community, and, and it uh, it changed a lot of things. But that, that taught a lot of us, at a very young age, some real deep lessons about, you know, Your coaches and, and, you know, community and a lot of very valuable lessons. Your coach knew what he was doing, like, to, like, an existential level. I mean, that's pretty deep, man. I mean, like... Uh, can you imagine, uh, like, obviously he's probably 30-something years old, knowing what he's been through. Was he a black gentleman? Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. So he had the struggle of 
the opposite, being treated like garbage his whole life because of his color, to have to protect a little white boy. And then figure out a way to do it in in, in such a way... Because you can't just... like Because, you know, back in the schoolyard, we're like, don't be mean to that kid. Uh, don't do it. Or, you know, I'm going to get you. Or you're going to get detention. Uh, that kid's got a target painted on him that's only going to make him just degenerate into something useless. He painted a target on you to make you better and then also to make your fellow players better people as well. That is deep. That is that, that is not something you learn in college. That that is something you you learn from self-experience or when you accidentally find a good book that just someone just hands you or just calls you uh, you know from the stand. That that that's 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 something else, man. Yeah, I mean he really it was it was an incredible act of sort of reverse psychology on a on a you know a group level right because he he could have said it all like you, you you hit it on the head he could have said it over and over and it wouldn't have stuck he had to he had to convey that to where everyone came to that conclusion on their own and through that everyone gained insight and a greater understanding it was really a powerful thing that he did for me. No, that, that's amazing, man. That's that's one of those things I love hearing those podcasts or any sort of interview where you hear about a good coach or remember the Titans. You know, that's why sports movies are good. You know, totally, uh, totally, all, all the good stuff. Now we're 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 breaking down the evolution of Chongo. Now uh, we're we're playing football. You get to collegiate level. All of a sudden, you're traveling. You're, you're world traveling. Now I, I've listened to, to interviews with you. And yeah, you've 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 fought a lot. You've you've uh, one of the things that was super fucking smart is you've constantly surrounded yourself with successful artists. And I specifically picked that term, not successful people, because success is measured in different different ways. But when you have a successful artist, someone in my mind, a successful artist is someone that has achieved a point in their art that they're expressing themselves and they're fulfilled in every every way. They're filling those buckets. Whether they're doing MMA, they're fighting, uh, whether they're doing yoga. Uh, you've, you're surrounded yourself by successful artists. Now, that's part of your gimmick. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show is because uh, I study art. I've, I've got a degree in it, it in, in literature as well. But... Um, I'm not. I'm not jockstrapping. I'm, I'm, what I'm just saying is, I, I think I, I. I hope you know that I. I see it, and you know you hear the Stone Cold interview like, yeah, I just turned myself up to eleven. Okay, that's great. You're a beer drinking Texan. That's awesome. But there's an art to what you're doing. You even use that word all the time. Like, I imagine that you look. You you're constantly trying to better yourself. How do you do that? Well, that, 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 first of all, that's a very, very accurate assessment. And I, I actually very much appreciate the nuance of you using that word in that language because that is exactly the goal, you know. I look at it like this. Above all else, my passion and my stock and trade is that of a martial artist, right? Right. To me, the primary difference between MMA and pro wrestling is a competitive application of my skill set versus a theatrical or entertainment application of my skill set. This is Magic Johnson choosing to be on the Harlem Globetrotters as opposed to being on the Lakers because he's already done, he, he's proven everything to himself in that, in that aspect. I have a greater canvas to display the 
artistic manifestations that I have inside of me that want to come out that I when I'm working with someone that's working with me versus someone that's trying their hardest to stop me right that's the appeal of pro wrestling now on top of that this is an artistic medium that is so so diverse there's you can you know from your from your attire to your entrance music to your to your cadence to your nuance your personality your tics your moveset it is such an in-depth artistic medium it is so intellectually stimulating for me it's such a big you know it's a buffet to take you know countless bites that every bite can be different and yeah i constantly push to evolve my art and evolve my performance so that i can you know continue to I don't even know how to say it. Just, I want to become the, the, the most satisfied version of myself as an artist. I don't want to have any regrets for not taking that chance or not pushing that idea or not, you know, going for that thing. And this, this is why I love what I'm doing so much, man. Yeah. So, so, so what you're, so what I kind of got sidetracked off what you asked me, but that's, no, 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 yeah, no, that's, an art that's, form. that's what I want. And that's what I want. Cause I consider pro wrestling, I consider MMA an art, like, like a fine art, like something that should be displayed in the Met, something that should be in the Sistine Chapel. Like people just don't understand the, the, the slave, the, the slavery you have to your obsession uh, of your art. I, I can't imagine what's going through your head when you're, you're, you're weighing in and you got to figure out a way to psych this asshole out and get in his head because you got to get in his head right off the fucking bat. Not yesterday, not when you get in the fucking ring with him uh, or the Octeon. You got to get in his head immediately and you got to do it artfully. You can't just like, I, like I have heard countless stories about MMA fighters that trained and trained and trained but something that was said at the weigh-in just fucked with them like just it, to, to, to where it, it ruined their performance because the guy figured it out you're telling me and, and, and I, I, I want to translate a little bit you're telling me you're obsessed with your art and at any given moment if you died you would die a, you would die successful in your own mind and fulfilled absolutely absolutely I've, I've taken every chance. I have no regrets of not going for it. And you're absolutely right on the psychological aspect of the competition of it. And that's part of where that original persona of the Lim Reaper came from. I got um, a string of submissions where the guy didn't tap, and it ended up with some pretty, uh, you know, gruesome finishes. And sort of the lure built upon itself, and the Lim Reaper was born, man. And that's... That, when you talk about sort of the psychology of, of dominance, that really played into it. Because what ended up happening, they would match me up with these really tall strikers, right? Because I'm a small heavyweight, light heavyweight, heavyweight. But I was a smaller guy, but I was known as just this extremely dangerous submission specialist. But what would happen, I'd have these world-class strikers, and they would be scared. They'd pick at me because they're scared to commit their physics to a strike. Uh, in case that I would get a hold of them. So then what that let me do is then I could strike at them with reckless abandon to where I'm challenged in their ego, like, no, this grappler isn't out striking me. Then the, it would happen like clockwork. I, You know, I'd kick them in the face or something, something that they would not be expecting from someone with my sort of pedigree. Then the, the ego would take over. They, 
you know, you could see it. We call it looking through their helmet. They look through their helmet. They come forward, start throwing, and it, it was the psychology was there every time, man. I would elicit that response, and it would facilitate me taking the game to my world. And that that strategic approach made made for a pretty successful career, man. How how does it feel as an artist and? Uh, a martial artist and that's one of the things that people just don't understand that word is not used accidentally in that phrase it's not something someone arbitrarily picked a martial artist when you realized how quick you could think in the blink of an eye I mean like where, where you're you're dissecting everything in this guy's mind and how you can beat him in, in a game that they're there's only winners and losers. There's no gray area. What was it like when you realized you could think that fast? Like Neo from The Matrix. All of a sudden you're dodging shit and, and, and you're thinking. Because, you know, there's that saying that if you're thinking, and I remember uh, when I did high school wrestling, like if you're thinking, you're thinking, okay, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, and then and then your plan gets fucked up and you're done. <laughs> Next thing you know, you, yeah. you've given them your back accidentally. What were you thinking when you realized that you could think that fast? I mean, did it did it energize your your day to day life? Um, how did yeah, it make so, you feel okay. as a person? So, if I may, first before I answer that, I want to touch on something you said prior to that. Please about the the, the term martial arts. Okay, I equate it to playing music. It's not. This is what I told my students. It's not martial science. It's martial arts. The way this is what I mean by that. The science is learning the techniques, just like, say, you're a guitar player, right? Yeah. Every guitar player knows the same chords and progressions. Yeah, I play but guitar, the artistic yeah. expression is how you convey those things, right? The same thing with martial arts. The science is the technique. But once you have mastered those techniques, the, the individual artistic expression that differentiates one artist from another is how you convey those things in real time. That's... So, so to answer, to touch on, on that first one, that to me is what the definition of, a, of an artist and a martial artist is. It's the artistic conveyance of that medium, right? Right. Now, as far as what that did for me, so a little bit about my background. Um, my father is a very, very, not so much financially because he's never really compromised his morals, but he is a very, very successful scientist. He is a dual doctorate. Um, he is PhD in physical chemistry, PhD in theoretical physics. He is he has lectured at Harvard. He has nineteen patents. Nice. He is in the elite as an academic. He has always in that aspect. It was always like, where was my? You know, he's a genius. Where was my genius? And on the mat is where I found that. I found my real-time problem-solving with the pressure of someone trying to, to you know, finish you, you know, knock you out, choke you out, break your limb. My kinetic, you know, if for la you know, not to try to like, I don't say this with intentional hubris, but if I do have a genius, it is that kinetic genius, and that's what set me apart as a martial artist was my ability to you know, calculate these things in real time and to strategize in the moment. And, and what it did for me was it made me feel like I had found myself. Like okay. I had always, you know, I felt like Poe and Kung Fu Panda. Like I don't have what my dad has and I always felt like a failure. But then like when I was 30 years old and I moved back home, my dad told me that he had been wrong my whole life and that I had 
shown him my tr- like you judge a fish on its ability to climb a tree everyone's an idiot right right he's a fish i'm not a fish i'm a monkey i right. climbed that tree like nobody's business and i felt like i had found my my medium for for self-expression and, and it just made me a, a happier and more confident person let's talk about the self-expression because one of the, my favorite things is in I've I've done a lot of interviews for the for the podcast, and I've got a lot of amazing artists uh, in in the field of uh, comic books, uh, wrestling. Hell, uh, one of my one of my homeboys up in Canada, he is a very successful comic book artist, but he's also a pro wrestler. And I was like, dude, you're living the dream. And when I talk to him, and then I'm talking to you, uh, when I talked to him specifically, he was like, dude, you can't. You can't talk to people that don't believe in their art. You can't talk to the people that, like, I guess I'll be a pro wrestler. This looks fun. Uh, like, you got a sense when they believe in themselves more than anyone else ever could because they, they took, they had the courage to do it. Not the hubris, like you said, because there's a difference between hubris and, and uh, ability and, and knowing your ability. Or, and, or, you, or cocky versus confident. And... Um, He's like, you can't talk to dudes that don't have it. Just figure out how to sense it. I'm like, I've got a pretty good way to sense it. Now, uh, in doing so, it's been more of a concentration on how someone concentrates on their character. Now, what I came to the uh, revelation was, don't have anyone on my show that isn't themselves turned up to 11 like Stone Cold would say. Like, I'm going to... I love Stone Cold, so I'm going to probably bring him up a bunch of times. And then I was like, okay, if I don't believe in you, you're just not going to have... It's just not gonna, if you don't believe in yourself, I'm not going to believe in you, and then you're just not going to be in the show. Because the whole thing... The whole point about this show is showcasing why. Because that's the best question, is why. <laughs> and, and, and then the next one being how. So... We, we, we come to a, a point in your life when you're no longer fully focusing on MMA. You're now focusing on pro wrestling. And for anyone that doesn't know the difference between wrestling and pro wrestling, just stop listening to our show. You're just not going to understand what we're saying. Um, there's an artistry to it, and the people that really make it believe in themselves and turn themselves up to 11. I see you go out there. I remember the first time I had to play your your ring song, and I'm like, "Wait a minute, this is Batman. This is the dance." And they're like, "Yeah," <laughs> and I was like, "All right, let's let's do this. Let's let's fucking do this." I got I already had it on my computer, and you come out, and I believed you. That whole everything I just said, sorry, ten minutes long, was just me trying to tell you that I believed your character. It's not something you're like. Ah, I guess I'll. Uh, guess I'll be a luchador. No, 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 no. Uh, where did, where did the gypsy in the carny come from? Well, the, the, sort of the evolution of my character is a representation of the evolution of myself as an artist transitioning from the medium of, you know, competitive application in MMA and jiu-jitsu to theatrical and entertainment application in pro wrestling. The, the when I first came in, um, Kevin Sullivan, who's if you know if you know pro wrestling, you know the name Kevin yeah, Sullivan. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get to we'll, we'll get to the Taskmaster. Go ahead. We'll get to the Taskmaster in a bit. I wanted to bring him up in a bit, but but just keep going. Yeah, yeah. But so when I originally came in, 
the idea was basically, you know, I was put as sort of like an MMA Goldberg kind of thing because they're like, this is how you would kick these guys' ass. This is what it is. But it was not artistically fulfilling. It was not what I wanted. And, and organically, the character, the mad showman developed because what it is is being in a ring essentially lost its meaning for me in competition. There right. was, I had proven everything to myself that there was to prove. And I was transitioning to this artistic version of, of the same thing, right? right? A theatrical application versus a competitive application. And what the Mad Showman is, is that manifested into a persona. It's, it, he, he does not find meaning in the competition itself. He finds meaning in the performance. He, he, he thinks, he thinks of being in the ring almost as like, it's like Groundhog Day. Victory is a He thinks of it like a house cat playing with his food. So where he finds his meaning is in the performance, in the in the artistic, you know, um, execution of of the match of the fight. It's not about you know winning. It's about winning with style. It's about performing with style. It's about presenting your art at the highest form. And that is me to a T. I guess yeah, you could call it turned up to eleven. But yeah, that is just. That is me truly expressing myself, free form, real time. How do you, how do you digest your art? Like, do you read art magazines? You listen to like punk rock music. You listen to a million different types of music. You you you, you constantly slave over how to be a better dad. Uh, how do you how do you put yourself in that moment when you're not? Because people like us have to juggle the real world and then also make sure we're not being disrespectful to ourselves as artists uh how do you yeah. how do you do that uh like where do you find your art uh whether if it's in painting or if it's in music help me out here well so i have a pretty obsessive personality when it comes to stuff like that and usually i'll get on a kick and stay on that kick really hardcore for example like right now I pretty much spend every free moment that I'm not writing the show, my show, or working on other stuff, or doing other aspects. Anytime I have a free moment to myself, I'm a big guy, I'm a big uh, proponent of listening to audiobooks. Okay. Because my, I was such a wild child as a kid, I had trouble sitting down and reading. The, the medium of, of reading the words off the page was never as as just it, it didn't resonate with me the way the spoken word did and so like right. for example right now i've probably listened to about 30 hours of lovecraft on tape in the last month no fucking like, wonder I, I you've been crazy pretty much all my free time <laughs> listening to audiobooks on tape listening to great writers listen that's that's been a real real powerful um artistic inspiration for me i've always been a fan of of the written word i think um it's one of the most expressive art forms there is um i love music too i'm very very uh protective of what i let into my head because i think music is very very capable of 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 eliciting emotions in us so i i, I really try to sort of trim my playlist to meet the needs of what I'm trying to do if I'm going to train versus I'm going to you know write the show versus I'm going to go do a do a show I, I sort of have like a concept of the style of music that I want to put into my soul at that time to sort of manifest that that mindset and that energy uh, you just recently uh, 
uh, online, I saw that you're in a relationship, and you're talking yes, about yes. You're, you're talking about literature. And the first thing that popped in my head is this guy does not pick people randomly. Uh, I, there was a book I read back in it was, it was a short story back in college called uh, Rose for Emily, which is about a mean old lady that treated everyone like dog shit. Uh, she used to be great, and then she started. She turned into the biggest piece of shit you ever could imagine. And uh, it ended with the fact that uh, after when she died, they found her body curled up in bed with her exhumed husband's body that had been perfectly perforated into the mattress because she'd been sleeping with his body for so long. And the concept was to love someone so much. <laughs> like, I know it, it, it's, maca it's, it's macabre, but it, it's ghoulish if, if, if you're looking at it through the wrong lenses. But Yeah, but it's also beautiful. Exactly, exactly. And yeah. the reason I bring that up is because I don't think that you pick people randomly, dude. <laughs> you don't pick. No, people. no, no. You've got precious. You got precious cargo. That's right. I'm very. You know. I'm very, very. I've, I've. You know. I've loved and I've lost and I've made mistakes and I've, you know, been hurt really bad and I've become a better person and I think that I've found the person that I truly am happy that I am the best version of myself that I have ever been for because she deserves that and she's amazing and I'm super I'm madly in love and I'm very very fortunate to have the partner that I have she's the new and Japan she probably, chick she'd probably smack me if I put her name out there but yeah no, no, we'll, 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 Tiffany's a beautiful girl and I'm a very lucky man she's the new Japan chick yeah, that is, yes, amongst the, yes, that one of her many titles, yes, yes, yes. She's, Dude. She, she's more over than me in a lot of uh, the pro wrestling circles, it's true. After uh, the honeymoon phase wore off on AEW, uh, I realized that New Japan is still my favorite, man. Like, there's nothing better. Uh, I remember seeing, uh, we were in New Orleans to see uh, WrestleMania, and we see Shinsuke versus fucking uh, AJ Styles, and me and my girlfriend at the time were like, We've we had, her and I had watched and cried over the Shinsuke AJ Styles match from like three years beforehand in New Japan Pro, and uh, I wasn't crying because like I was worried that any of these guys got hurt. Obviously, I was worried that they got hurt, but the problem was the poetry in their match. Like I would rather get shot in the forehead. With a fucking forty-five or nine millimeter, whatever you got, just make sure it, it ends quickly. Then take Shinsuke Nakamura's uh, shins under no circumstances, <laughs> under no circumstances. And I really appreciate people that are into New Japan Pro because it's not something you accidentally get into. It's something that you find and, and you see the art and how they do it. Now we're doing indie wrestling here in Colorado. You're working for a lot of different promotions. I mean, like, you're really putting yourself out there. You're really juicing it up. You actually show up to the shows when you're not even booked, don't you? Yes, sir. Well, it's, you know, it's a, it's a community. It's a tight-knit community. And I am fortunate enough to have a position of, of I don't know what you would call it, influence or, or something where if if my presence can help uplift the show or I can help 
give some analysis or some perspective to some someone who's not as far in their journey as me and I can help in any way by my presence make make the 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 art form in the community better I'm happy to do it and I'm just a fan above all else man if I'm not booked I'm trying to see a show do you care where you go I mean like you seem like a, such a very fulfilled person that do you care where you go with New Japan or Impact or, or AEW do you really you're just looking for the next door open or or you work on kismet or to be honest with you man you know i had 153 fights i played three years of professional football which you know you are you are an athletic mercenary where you are at the beck and call and the complete will of your employers they tell you where to live they tell you where to be they tell you how long you got to be away from your family i am fortunate enough to have been successful enough in those two athletic endeavors to be able to, you know, I I own my own house. My son and I have our own home. No one can ever take that from us. And um, this is about fulfillment of my art uncompromised. I do not covet making the WWE. I wouldn't be opposed to doing a couple tours in, in Japan. I wouldn't be opposed to working with AEW or Ring of Honor or somebody, uh, TNA, if the, if the situation was right. But what it is about for me is about artistic fulfillment while maximizing my family and my life. I, I've traveled the world. I've done that. And I'm not saying that I won't do that again, but I have, I have earned the right to write my own ticket and... It is, and I, that is the highest goal for me. It's not about making money anymore. It's about having creative control over my art. And that is, so because of that, I mean, if those things happen, great. I'm not looking for them. I'm not out there seeking those things because I've, I've done that. I've done that in other, in other, I've, I've traveled the world as a professional athlete. I know what that is. I've, I've, I've had my fill of that. And now it's about, optimizing my environment here in Colorado and fulfilling my artistic you know endeavors on my own terms but most of the time you're shining everyone else up man that's one of my favorite parts about you and we'll get to that in a little bit uh, I used to not like Dean Ambrose that much and then I learned about Jonathan Good and then when I heard the conversation with Y2J Kershiroko, my hero, I, I say it like that every time. You, you're going to have to get used to it. Uh, he's talking to him, and he's like, listen, man, like, because he came from the mean streets of Cincinnati. The guy was petty crime, I'm getting beat up all the time. Having to, he was in trouble and found pro wrestling. And then he's like, listen, man, all I care about is that I'm my art is being fulfilled. I've got a beautiful wife. My truck is paid off. He doesn't drive a fucking Dodge Challenger. He's got a truck. And he, and, and not only is it a truck, but it's his truck. <laughs> it's his truck. He's like, I own my home. You and I had, like, I, I didn't have the same upbringing like you, but you and I both, like, uh, I I still eat bologna sandwiches. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to get away from that. I, I still eat beans and bologna chopped up to it. I remember I went to my mom's house and, like, 
uh, I, I was daydreaming about it all day for some reason. Like, uh, I just wanted a bowl of beans, like when I was 10 years old, with bologna chopped up and, and cheese on it. And, and she just happened to make it. I couldn't eat it fast enough. Was, was the idea that this man didn't give a shit. His truck, his home, his beautiful wife that he obviously loves, and he's artistically fulfilled. So you're getting there. You're, 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 well, actually, you're already there. You, you just, you, you're just figuring out where you want to go next. Um, like I said, kismet. Now, we're, we're, let's move along to you shining people up because we, I saw something the other day that I didn't think was going to be possible or even imagine it could be possible within the realms of pro wrestling. And we were at a Black Live, a Brock Wrestlers Matter show last, uh, Sunday night. Yep, yep. Um, you weren't there because you just wanted to see a show. You were there because of other matters. Now, I remember talking to a good friend of mine, and uh, we were talking about the Black Lives Matter when uh, a movement uh, recently, uh, right, right before everything got real sticky. And he's like, listen, dude, you don't understand what it's like to grow up in the environment where you're, everything's great, everything's rosy, and then your mom and dad have to sit you down and say, listen, you're black. Not only are you black, but this is going to happen to you. They're going to use this word against you. They're going to make you feel like you're not worth enough. Like when you see those studies where they show a little black girl in the 50s picking between a black doll and a white doll, and they always picked the white doll because it was better. Um, you're eight, nine, five, whatever year that happened, there's no, like, Santa Claus isn't real, Tooth Fairy not real. Um, all of a sudden, I have to worry about, I was going one mile over the speed limit, and I might get shot in the chest. Um like Jim Crow supposedly ended years ago but you you have your your, your son is black yeah yes and, that's that's right and and some people try to you know quantify that and say he's half black but i my response is obama wasn't the first half black president he was the first black president Society doesn't see it as a, bl a half-black young man. He's a black man. Yeah, ag ag agreed. And, agreed. And as a parent, any parent worth their salt cares a lot more about their kid than they do themselves. And in that context, the, the Black Lives Matter movement is so important to me because that is the future environment that my son is going to have to navigate. Right. You know? And so that's why this... this cause is very near and dear to my heart did you ever have to have that conversation with him oh I, absolutely I mean he I have had to have some very and it's tough because I can't tell him firsthand what he's gonna face right right I right. can't tell him what the experience of a black man in this country is but what I can tell him is what I have experienced growing up in a primarily you know black and urban environments and you had and the, I've told him like, you have to be, this is how strong I need you to be. I need you to be strong enough that if a cop calls you a hard R, yeah. that you can no-sell that so that they don't elicit a response from you that will allow them to take 
it to a violent place or to then paint you in some sort of barbaric picture so that they can justify violence, right? Right. That's And he's been... He, I'll tell you a story about that he's had to deal with. He had a kid who was giving him some crap at school, and my son has been trained, and he was third in state in freestyle wrestling at six years old. He's already got close to ten years of Muay Thai and Jiu-Jitsu, and he's he's almost 6'3", coming out of eighth grade. He's a beast. So he's very aware that he can smash a lot of kids. But this kid was giving him all kinds of crap, calling him, calling him, called him hard R. He called him the N-word with, like, not the the friendly connotation with the hard R connotation and my son handled it through the proper channels told the teachers nothing happened a week later the kid called him in again my son hid in the bathroom and cried because he didn't want to get in trouble for beating the kid up so I went down to the school and I told the principal you know get this kid's dad down here you guys have failed to act you guys have allowed my son to have to hide in the bathroom as opposed to handle this and I was very proud of him, but I told him after, you know, essentially the principal was like, no, no, we'll handle it, we'll handle it. A week later, this is what I told my son. I said, look, the laws are there to protect us. But, you know, whether you're talking about Rosa Parks, whether you're talking, there are there are situations where what is the law is not what's right. right. And if they are not protecting you, you have the right to protect yourself. And I don't care. I'm not overly sensitive when it comes to, you know, oh, you need to avoid this term or avoid that term, but calling a black man a hard R, I think anybody can agree that that is unacceptable and offensive. And like, if a black guy punches you in the face after calling him that, that's pretty much justified, right? right? So I said, you had tried to handle this through the proper channels twice. You have been failed twice. If this happens again, I expect you to kick this kid's ass. And the kid did it, and my son grabbed him by the backpack did essentially a judo throw, put him on his feet to kind of let him know, like, you don't want this. Right. The kid swung at him, he ducked and clocked him, and I actually believe that that was good for that kid, because that kid learned that lesson the hard way at 13 as opposed to 23, right? right? Not just with the legal ramifications, but the physics behind getting punched in the mouth of a middle schooler versus an adult. So that kid and my son have actually come to become friends at this point. That, that's, that that's, what of, uh, that's what should have happened. That's what should have happened. That's awesome. It's beautiful, right? It is. It really is. And it shows a couple of things here. The kid fucked up. He got his ass kicked. He took his licks like, well, whatever you want to call it. But the fact that they became friends afterward, that's poetry. That's exactly what should happen. Like, like, like what's going to happen? How would you feel if this kid was running for office in 10 years and a video of your kid whooping his ass for saying that came out and they're like, he's canceled. He's canceled. And then, and then you've got the moral dilemma. Like, wait a minute. The kid learned his lesson and we can't just can't, in my opinion, we can't, I don't want to push my views on you, but I I feel like we can't, like people need to be there. We're humans. We need to be forgiven. You got to realize what you did wrong. You in in you, you you pay your dues like a man, but there's no reason like they're fr- they're friends. Like you, what you're gonna negate their friendship because the kid was an idiot, and 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 then your son was the bigger man and accepted him as a friend. That that's evolution. I, like most people don't learn that until they're until they're like 25, uh, or to forgive themselves or or even to forgive the people that have hurt them. And your kid learned that at what age? Uh, that was seventh grade, so he was twelve. I want to say. God damn, 13. man. 
Well, I, I'm. How did you like? I mean, parents have those talks with their kids, like, okay, we got to talk about sex, penis to vagina. But how did you talk about what he's going to have to go through be, simply because of the color of his skin? Like, did you did you read some books? Did you talk to his mom? Uh, did you uh, you know talk to some some elders? How did you go about that? Well, um, I guess sort of the genesis of the way that I have always tried to teach my son. My I gained sole custody of my son when he was three. It has just been me and my son for over 11 years now. And when that happened, you know, I'm 25, 26, I'm a pro fighter, I'm a maniac. What, what do I know about being a, a single parent, right? Right. But I told myself, okay, he's the Robin to my Batman. And I am just going to explain things in the most thorough and and honest and forthright way that I can based on his ability to comprehend at that age. And so we've had very honest talks about this kind of stuff. And and that's just the nature of the way that I have chosen to communicate with him from the time he was little. We've had, you know, what we call the ugly truths. We always made sure that the ugly truths were never hidden or not talked about between us. And so as soon as he got old enough to where that could become a thing in his world, I made sure that he understood what that was now and what those stakes will evolve into as he becomes a man. I hear the, I hear the kid can shred. Oh, yeah, dude. He's, he is quite prolific at the guitar. He, uh, he was the first middle schooler to get a, a music scholarship to DU Lamont School of Music. Uh, in seven years, he was the first. He was named first guitar in the national jazz band for middle school as a seventh grader. So he's pretty much considered the top uh, guitar player in, in middle school in the, in the country. He's he's unbelievably talented. The first time he ever picked up a guitar, he just has what they call per. It's a term, I suppose, called perfect pitch. And the first time he picked up a guitar, extremely he was able extremely to rare. play things on the radio that he was listening to just off of being able to hear it. I mean, he just hears it, man. It's it's unbelievable. It's it ex- really is a special gift. He is truly, and I know a lot of parents say that, but he is he is genuinely gifted in that in that artistic medium. What was the first thing going through your mind when you were asked to wrestle at the Black Live Wrestler show? first thing was I do not in any way want to do anything that can be taken as taken away from the message and the movement okay I have no interest in using that platform to get myself over the message is far too important Agreed. they asked me to do it at the first one and I, I objectively refused because it was it was about the 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 it was about that historical event of a completely every single performer on that show was black from the from the camera operators to the uh, to the announce team to the referees to every single wrestler and I was honored uh, the biggest honor for me was that they asked my son to be the the entertainment and intermission and my son got to play on that show right and that was that meant more to me than me being on the, any show I ever possibly could now, but as far, 
Sorry, go ahead. No, 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 uh, no you go ahead. Uh, I'll get to it in a minute. So as far as the second one goes, I was approached about, you know, being performing on this show, and I was very apprehensive. I didn't want to... I didn't want anyone to be able to say that I used this platform to, you know, promote myself or for anything like that, but when it was expressed to me what the goal of that segment and that performance was... I, I was willing to go for it. I, they, they, the collective locker room and, and everybody involved, I was honored that they trusted me to, to be involved in that way. And I feel for, based on the feedback we've gotten that we did a, that we did that justice. Now there was a very specific promo that got my attention, uh, because it was the epitome of, the dialogue that needs to happen. Uh, you were you you interrupted the show in your your tantamount manner like you always do. It's always welcome, but this time it was a different promo. Uh, what was the gentleman that you were speaking to? Uh, I I remember we were talking to uh, Cash was on stage as, as well, but the the gentleman that super kicked your ass into the ring. Oh yes, oh yes, the the old pit bull. That's the uh, Elias Castaneda. He's one of the Canadian pit bulls. Long-time fixture out here in Colorado, and he was co-hosting the show with with my good friend Cash. And um, essentially, the premise of the segment was this: they felt that you know everyone knows sort of where my political and socio social leanings lie in that. That, like I said before, my son is black, so this is uh, a a movement and a message that I hold very near and dear to my heart, right? Right. But the concept of the segment was a well-meaning white ally that still has blind spots to their own privilege. Agreed. And so the, 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 the concept, the way we did it, I came out because this was also at the venue where I where my show Airs and I'm one of the you know I, I I'm one of the managers at that venue so I was you know it kind of had a natural conduit at that specific venue to have me be involved in it but essentially what it was was I came out and first you know I when I'm in character you know the mad showman has a theatrical undertones to his voice but I dropped my accent and I said before I talk professional wrestling business I come to you as a father. And I explained that that I was absolutely honored to be a part of this and and that I in no way intended to in any way other than a satirical aspect of the performance of pro wrestling. I met I am I had no aspirations of taking away from the message. Agreed. Once that was conveyed, then we went back into the show and the idea was and I want to thank, you know, uh, myself for making this event happen and you know congratulations to me for you know having a hundred thousand views on the Chongo Don't Show and it was congrats on that and then he came and he's like you know the, what you said about your son and at the beginning was very impactful but now you're making it about yourself and you're not listening and you know I dropped the line you know I thought all celebrations matter and I it's it's hard when you're doing something that is potentially um sensitive 
sensitive, and you got to make sure you tell the narrative the right way, so the people know that there's certain cues to understand that you're doing a work to get to a certain place. And it's dangerous yes. because you're a white dude out there, and like immediately it can be taken the wrong way unless you know that it's a work. Totally, and and, and that that's it. The, the the more delicate the issue, the more nuanced and on point the art needs to be. But all, according according to all accounts, we hit it on the head. I mean, he super kicked me to get my attention, which was sort of the the microcosm equivalent of you know protest like we he needed to get my attention he dropped me yeah then he then he took a knee and he said brother and he took me in and i and he asked me to listen and i really listened and in that moment we conveyed a he's a moment of true understanding and camaraderie and he asked me to take a knee with him in a symbolic gesture of of things that have been sort of the visual representation from Colin Kaepernick to George Floyd, the knee, has been a very symbolic representation of what's going on. And we, he, 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 and Cash took a knee with me, and we embraced as friends and brothers. And we, we, I, I, I was in that moment in character. My character took that lesson, and we learned, and we we grew as brothers, and we went back to the show with a greater understanding. And I, I hope that we did right by that because that is a very tricky thing to convey but all from everything that we've heard so far has been positive and I'm really honored that I was able to not only be a part of it but to pull that off successfully I have a better uh, metaphor or analogy uh, in regards to what you're talking about where you both took a knee Uh, about 10 minutes ago this gentleman I was talking to mentioned a 12 year old boy Becoming friends with someone that called them a hard R. When you're a kid, you're feral. It's different when you're an adult. You know better. You know you have to adhere to social nuances. I think a better example was your son becoming friends with a guy that called him the hard R. And learning that 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 example. And, and you didn't tell him to be his friend, did you? No, not at all. How were you surprised when you found out that they were friends? A little bit, but the the character that my son has, I I was just I was like, of course, of course, you are you are that kid, and I'm so it just made me that much. I mean, I was surprised for a second, but the more I thought about it, I was like, no, this is this is who this is who Junior is, man, and. It was, you know, he, he teaches me so much about those things, about benevolence and humility and compassion. And, you know, yes, of course, that is a much better example of it in the real world. But, you know, given the artistic medium that we had, I hope that we did a good job of conveying that same type of message. Agreed. Agreed. And it's difficult with adults because we have deep green beliefs. We have things that might be wrong uh, or things that we, we want to try out. Uh, it, it, we can go on forever, but with kids, it's different. It, with kids, like, there's no black and white. Well, there's no grayer. It's black and white. It's 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 friend or not. I remember, um, I remember well, I'm not important. Well, but what what matters is I think the the example with your son is a more hard 
impact hitting example if kids can learn it then why the fuck can't we as adults absolutely like, like where where it's a it's a point of contention where well, well he shouldn't have grabbed the taser they shouldn't have fucked him with him in the first place if they'd been a white dude they would have they would have put him in the car and locked his ass up sobered up he'd have had a a, a public intox and a dui that not two bullets in his fucking back um and and i hear the argument all the time oh he shouldn't have grabbed no no you get you you get pushed that far people don't know what what they're going to be like regular people when they get in a fight and I'm not just quoting Fight Club here. I'm talking about what happens when you're pushed to your edge, and you see these 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 people on TV, and they're 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 getting filmed, and they're saying some awful stuff, and they're like, "Holy shit! Why did I say that?" I'm not just seeing like, "Oh, they're just a racist," and they they just thought that they could get away with it. No, I'm seeing someone that got pushed or felt triggered and made a huge mistake because they reacted the wrong way in, in, in a fight or or, or, or or when they were antagonized. And if the, the if your kid can get it, then we can get it. I, I completely agree, brother. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a, it's a complicated issue. And I have very in-depth and nuanced thoughts on a lot of aspects of it. But maybe that's maybe we we'll save those for another day. I don't know if this is the time or place to talk about that stuff. But if you if you you know, I think that we really need to analyze the complete psychological and tactical application that we give our police officers. Right. You know. Right. I think that. There are aspects that people don't factor in that are real, real elements, you know, cumulative PTSD, you know, of being in violent and terrible situations, you know, something like the last time I saw a guy with a red backwards baseball hat, he had beaten his kid so bad that the kid needed surgery in his face, right? right? So then the next time that cop sees a guy with a red backwards baseball hat, it's automatically takes him to that place and not to say that i'm not excusing that behavior but those are aspects of the psychology of that job that are very not only are they professionally um under understood but i think definitely in the social narrative they are they are grossly misunderstood right and and one of my favorite parts about doing a podcast is getting to sit down and talk with people i don't I'm I'm proud of your achievements, but I'd rather get to know Chongo. <laughs> like your your achievements are just notches on your belt. I'd rather know Chongo. Like I'd rather have a discussion and a conversation. So where'd you train? So what's uh what's uh, uh Rampage Jackson like? Is he cool? No 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 no. Uh, it's it's an opportunity, and. Uh, uh, one of my favorite concepts I got from uh, an English class was talking about uh, the per- about perspective and like the, an idea isn't something that you can look at in two D. You have to think of it like a sphere. Uh, you have to look at it from okay. this this direction, this direction, from these lenses on this direction, or we can go outwards and say we can't just scan the skies for aliens. There's only very limited scope that you can focus on this bit of sky collecting light and collecting uh, knowledge and uh, like light spheres, uh, whatever you want to call it. 
But in order to be a well-rounded human being, you have to think about that sort of thing. I'm glad you said that, like, because obviously you don't hate cops. Uh, like, you, it's, it's. I've had problems with them before, but I don't hate them. I, I, but at the same time, I, I, I don't, and I'm not saying this in the wrong way, but I, I have an acceptable skin color. No, that's that's very true. Uh, just a second ago, uh, well, actually a couple of minutes, maybe like 20, 30 minutes ago, you mentioned Kevin Sullivan is your uncle. Um, I've heard, yeah, yeah. I've heard where you talk about like you know he's had some influence on you, but I wanted to talk about you, about him, because I didn't like how they painted him in Dark Side of the Ring. Yeah, that was a tough one because. I actually have probably a little bit more inside information on that whole situation than a lot of people because that obviously that was interpersonal in my life. Right. He was he was asked to comment. He spoke directly to you know um, Nancy Benoit's parents and asked them would they become. Were they comfortable with this program? Did Were they comfortable with him sharing things that would maybe make him look like it, you know, it would give the other side of the coin where it's not, you know, it would maybe make him look a little bit better, but maybe make other people, including her, not look so good. And they didn't want that, and he respected their wishes, and so he became, you know... Pariah. There's no justification for... Certain behaviors, abusive behaviors, toxic behaviors, but sometimes things go both ways. Agreed. You know, and I think, you know, the premise of, I think they kind of insinuated that he hit her. And while that is, I, I'm not going to say that that's true or not true. I'm just going to say that hitting someone is different than hitting someone after you've been hit or struck repeatedly or hit with things and it's and again I'm not justifying anything I wasn't there but I know that the entirety of what happened was really ugly and he was willing to take that heat to protect you know, protect people yeah yeah pretty much and I, I didn't like the way that was conveyed. I mean, it's an ugly situation all around, right? Right. But, you know, he was willing to be the, take the heat in that situation. And so, I you know, if nothing else, I, I respect that. Now... Because that's a hard situation. Winding down, a couple last questions. Um, little torn... I'm not torn, but I, I find the internet wrestling community is pretty torn about MMA artists going into wrestling. As in, like, oh, you can't fight no more, so you're gonna be a wrestler. Uh, I think that's bullshit. Uh, I think that uh, most people don't understand that people have a bump card, and there's sometimes where you're just done fighting. But you still want to be in the ring, you're still an artist, and still want to express yourself. Uh, I love what Randy... R R uh, sorry, getting tongue-tied. Ronda Rousey's doing. I like uh, the, the Four Horsemen, and most of them are in wrestling. Um, it's 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 a big deal to me. Like it's it's an I I think of it as an evolution. Um, 
when you were talking about being done with fighting, you just said you're done. You're done proving yourself. And that's one of my favorite things about hearing uh, fighters get interviewed when they're talking about, I was just done. Like, uh, there's there's some people that just live for it and they're going to, they want to die in the ring. And then there's people that, I got it out. I'm done. But I still want to express myself. Um, you're doing that to me. Like, I... I, I, I love watching your character uh, where you, man, I remember um, like last week um, you came out, uh, I hadn't seen you backstage yet and I'm pointing at you and you just nerd shamed me and then afterwards uh, you're like, baby, now I can say hi to you. <laughs> and I was like, God, I love this fucking industry. <laughs> I love this industry, man. Like, uh, uh how do you plan your things? I mean, like, obviously, like, we, we've talked about your character. I mean, do you have any ideas where, you, where you're planning to take it even further? Uh, is it something that you slave over? Um, or, or are you just, you're playing kismet. You'll get where you get when you get there. Yeah, man. I mean, I just, I, I ride it. You know, it's flow. Like, no different than jiu-jitsu. You can't. You can have sort of like bullet points and sort of like map out some strategic probability of this is more likely than this. But at the end of the day, man, it is freestyle. It is jazz. And, and I just, I go where the creativity takes me. You know, I, I've never pre-planned any aspect of my character evolution. It's just been like, okay, this is what resonates in my soul so that's what I'm gonna do and and for the most part those things have worked out pretty well now uh, how do we find you on how do we find you online are you on, are you on uh, Facebook you on uh, Instagram well the, the, the junior has banned me from the gram as they say <laughs> um, I'm not I'm not I'm allowed on the old people facial book so there's a Chongo Bronson on Facebook. We also have the Chongo Don't Show page on Facebook. Um, I do have a Twitter. It's at Chongo Don't. So, hundred thousand views last week, baby. God damn. That's that's right. I mean, I, you know, um, it's been a wild ride. So so okay. So a little bit about that. Rocky Mountain Pro about two years ago became the official pro wrestling company of Twitch. Okay. And when that happened. They said, we need additional content besides pro wrestling. So then they came to the talent and said, who has ideas for shows? And I was approached about doing a show. And I've always, you know, in my time in L.A., I did some stunt work. I've, I've been around artists and film and, and, and you know, uh, creative people. And it gave me an opportunity to have an artistic platform for what was in my head and so basically the premise of the show is this it's a tv executive said crazy people make for great tv so who's a group of crazy people pro wrestlers okay find me the craziest pro wrestler and let's make a, a show about what's in his head so the chongo don't show is basically a pro wrestling sketch comedy show but at the same time Chongo is secretly the head of the rebellion against the artificial intelligence singularity that is Emperor Internet trying to take over uh, humanity. So during the show, we are also engaged in sort of this like rock opera star battle against the forces of, you know, the Internet. 
<laughs> those That's asshole, really those really asshole stupid. smart marks, man. I mean, there's marks and there's smart marks, and the guys that are harassing people. And I, I, I like the division. It makes me happy because you can, you can. It's like breeds of dogs. <laughs> Like, there's a chihuahua that thinks it's bigger than he is, and then we've got a pit bull just taking it easy. Just please don't piss me off. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But, uh, anything else you got less to say, man? Like, uh, world's, the world is yours, man. Um, I, I would say that, uh, first of all, watch the Chongo Don't Show Wednesdays at uh, 9.30 on Twitchy Do. Um, I would say, um, support your local artists before they're famous, before it's cool to do so. And I would say that, um, if I have a piece of advice to anybody listening, it's don't let yourself regret not going for it. Agreed, man. That's that's pretty much it, Daddy. Well, guys, this is Minefields Podcast. We've got Mr. Chongo Bronson. This has been an absolute pleasure. This is dangerous. Don't hang up. I will not hang up. It has been a pleasure. Thank you to the people. <laughs> awesome. That was great, man. That was fun. You happy with everything? Dude, I'm more than happy. Like That's how interviews go. That's why I was telling you it's going to be a conversation. So where did you train? Like Who did you beat up? <laughs> nah. Oh, that, that. Yeah, no, that was that was awesome, man. I appreciate you having me on, man, and I can't wait to. I'll plug that. I'll get on that. I'll plug it tomorrow on my show, and we'll we'll get some traction for it, man. I'm honored that you had me on. Thanks, brother. I'm honored too, man. But that that was fulfilling. But that was that's why this is one of the reasons I do it. Like I don't, I don't. I'm glad you're successful, but I want to. I want a good conversation. I want a good conversation. I want people to hear, like. I grew up in a shitty fucking neighborhood and got my ass kicked all the time. And this guy's what now? Like, and and he's doing, he's doing it how? Like, that's what I want people to hear. I don't want to hear like, oh great, it's it's our favorite guy. No, 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 no. It's deeper. It's so much fucking deeper. We got it. You just got it. And I, I hope I honored you with my questions. I hope I didn't offend you with anything I brought up. Um, that was great, man. I was a little worried that I went too far on that story about the the little league stuff because of the racial undertones, but hopefully that wasn't. Oh no, 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 no! That, that was uncomfortable with. No, that's meat and potatoes, man. That was meat and potatoes. That's existential gold. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, well, I hope you feel good about what we've done tonight, man. Totally, brother. I'm 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 stoked. I'm I'm I couldn't be happier with it. That was way better than. Doing like you said, uh, what's rampage like? Was you know, that's that's all shallow stuff. We we had a real in depth conversation, and I, I I appreciate that, man. Thank you. No, I appreciate you. Thank you, man. I can't wait to buy you a shot. We'll have a drink next. Are you going to be there Saturday? Uh, at the watering bowl, right? No, uh, Saturday is CSW here at Sunshine Studios. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I'll be there. Cool. I'll be running sound like usual, man. Um, awesome, brother. Playing some good music. I'll play your music and trigger you. I'm gonna. I want to start. A, I want to start a gimmick where, like, I accidentally play your music and you just freak the fuck out. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. What size shirt are you? I am a large. Capital. All right, my brother. Well, I will see you Saturday. I got something for you too, brother. 
I'll talk to you later. All right, then. I'll talk to you then, brother. Peace. Peace.
uh, Saviors, right? Yeah, it was the Saviors. Uh, he wasn't the leader for no damn good reason. Uh, he was. He's a serious alpha, and he's yeah, scoping. The, he's he's scoping this out, figuring shit out what he's gonna do, and realizes these guys are just some beta pussies, man. Like you got to have a girl do like, no, well, not in a bad way. I'm not saying. Oh yeah, they don't even way. treat her very well. No, they treat her like shit. They like they're just these guys. That are like, hey, let's get some hot piece of ass, distract this guy. But they picked the wrong motherfucker this time. Pretty much. I mean, Negan is, you know, there's there's got to be a top ten list of villains, and uh, he's definitely on there with Darth Vader and uh, Denzel Washington from Training Day. I mean. Yep. My man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, amazing villains out there for sure. Uh, Negan is definitely an amazing villain, and that's the thing. At, at a certain point, I, I got into reading the uh, some of the letter hacks at the end. I mean, if you've ever read The Walking Dead, you know that their letters section is called letter hacks. And um, going into the idea, you know, they were, you know, we thought, you know, well, is Negan dead? No, Negan's alive. We want it to be uh, possible that he's alive because in the real world, the villain doesn't always get gunned down by the hero or driven off a cliff or you know never saw him as a villain not it, once i mean anybody who's gonna kill glenn like that is a villain the thing is i don't, I don't see, know man i don't see the villain always losing i don't see the villain always being killed justifiably in the end sometimes well, the we villain were... gets to walk away we were connected to Glenn. Uh, in order to keep power over his men, one of those guys had to die. It's true, but I mean, yeah, I mean, still, he, there's a choice. We're going to get into the concept of good and evil. Negan is an evil person, period. I, don't, I completely disagree. <laughs> he's got, he's, I, he's, he's turned his back on, before, before there was a world without the rule of law. He was cheating on his wife, who he loved and who he had a very good, stable relationship with. Like, Correct. That is a choice. Still not evil. It's just, not that's a just a dick. That's a dick bag that's move. A dick but bag not evil. Move. I mean, not evil. Everything in our world is a choice. And Agreed. When you live in the world without rule of law, like, like I, I always appreciate like the postman. And even the Postman movie with Kevin Costner. You the, watched that movie? Of course you fucking did. A dozen times. And the villain in that movie is standing there saying, like, you know what I did before? I, I, I repaired copy machines. And yeah. now I run this gigantic, awesome army because I came up. Dude, that guy is nearly Negan, for real. Yeah, but... We're, we're talking about post-apocalyptic here. We're talking about kill or be killed. This isn't like whether or not you're uh, part of the KGB and working for a side that's winning. This is this is the line in the sand, no gray area. Us versus the zombies that will eat us, these rotting flesh bags. And he, he figured out a way to get people together, and it was kill or be killed. Yeah, he wasn't the best person, had concubines. Iron that guy's face. Uh, he was keeping the order. I'm not saying what he did was right, not in the least bit, but I don't see this guy as evil. Uh, Carl never would have been friends with this guy if he was evil. 
Mm. He might have been the cool uncle. There could have been that sense where you want to keep make sure you're in the favor of your cool uncle. But I don't see this guy as evil. Uh, I, I never have. Uh, and, and I, it, I it's think not... that the difference between what's good and evil is in the world that you happen to be in. And agreed, agreed. You know, I, it's like when I, you know, the, even recently going out and being involved in in protests and not necessarily being a protester, but my end being looking out for the concept of civility. Right. Or like if you watch uh, watch or XR read Ridge. Cold Mountain and you get that, okay. m- that moment in Cold Mountain, at least in the film, when Renee Zellweger is yelling, you know, there will be a reckoning. Yeah, you're in a world that's at war. You're in a country that's at war. And you've got your home guard who is abusing the people it's supposed to be looking after and protecting from invaders. But their abuse of power... It's like one day the war will be over. One day the zombie apocalypse will be over. Will there be anyone who will go back and look at war crimes? You know, World War II came to an end. Right. Were there war crimes? Yes. What? What? Where do you stop? Where does it stop? Where? Where does? Where? What? Who do you call evil? If we're going to firebomb Nuremberg and Tokyo and any other number of Japanese cities, we're going to drop two atomic bombs. But are we systematically destroying a culture like the like, like the Japanese were trying to do and like the like the Nazis were trying to do? Were we committing genocide? Maybe. I mean, Curtis LeMay, I'm going to bomb them back to the Stone Age. It's a it's a very it's a variable concept of good and evil. So I get where right. you're coming from. But I also feel like I'm saying just because he's evil, I don't have a problem with the fact that he is still the protagonist of his own story. Because the when you and I is. talked about this a lot of times a long time ago, it was the difference. Does Negan see himself as evil? Well, he feels guilt over how he treated his wife. <laughs> he knows he's an asshole. He knows but he's he, an asshole. He, he knows he's, he's doing the wrong thing. He apologized into the air... For having had a harem in this issue. Like, he knows that he has done things that are technically wrong. Because whether or not it's right or wrong by society's standards, he knows, well, I loved my wife and my wife would not have appreciated that. And that's Mm -hmm. putting it lightly. So, you know, when you ask yourself the big questions about this character, I'm not saying I have a problem with... I'm not saying he's not a bad... I'm saying he's a bad guy. You're saying he's not a bad guy. I'm saying He's I a, don't have a problem with him being a bad guy and still surviving and thriving in one way or another. Okay, okay. I don't uh, have a problem with that. I would much rather... I don't want to spoil things for you, but I wish that Star Trek Nemesis had turned out differently for Tom Hardy's character. I wish agreed. that uh, um, things had turned out differently for... Uh, any number of bad guys over the years. I, I wish that Darth Vader had survived and tried very, very hard to change the change the reality, change his reality for the better in one way or another, or at least just be, become a mentor for Luke. Okay. You know there are things that bad guys can do for us, like the entire TV series, The Blacklist. 
is exactly about that. A guy who is bad, who has done bad things, but has drawn a line as to, I would never do this, though, and I hate you for doing it, and I will get you for doing it, has come to the good guys. And it's just like the question I've asked myself because it's, it's work that I've done and it's part of, my, part of the fiction that I've been writing. I don't want to go so far as to completely throw it out there because I'd much rather leave it to uh, the possibility someone's going to read it and go, this is what Colin was talking about all that time ago. But uh, he's, a, he's a hedonist with a conscience. Yeah, he's a he, he's a hedonist with a conscience. Uh, obviously, he wishes he hadn't done some bad things, but he probably sure as hell had a lot of fun doing them. Um, good and evil is what it is. Now, don't forget that this is a Walking Dead comic book. Yeah, uh, it's been months since we've had the, since the abrupt ending to the Walking Dead. Uh, just in general, just came out of nowhere. It's over. Get the last issue. It's over. Uh, now we've got something possibly. On whether it's a six issue or a twelve issue, or we're going to start over, and we're going to follow Negan as the protagonist. Always remember, don't get too attached to anyone. Lucy may have had the tears in her eyes that she had fucked up, and and you know she was sorry that she was trucking with these these betas that are using her as bait and couldn't take one man. I mean, like they're 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 holding him down. And they're like he's a he's a freaking tank, man. Yeah, and. Uh, and uh, but then you get to that part uh, in regards to we're talking about evil. He's she's like you know what are you doing? I'm seeing this if I can cut this guy in half. <laughs> I know shovel. I love that part. He's got a shovel where he's supposed to be digging his own grave. He turns the tides, saves himself. Yep. Technically saves the girl, and he's trying to cut this guy in half. Not by like just uh, you yeah, know he's like, pushing. like hammering that shovel. He's just trying to push the shovel through this guy's spine. I don't think yeah. he succeeded. It was, yeah, that's that was pretty that, good. That was awesome, but it, it reminded me of like in in Hostel when people are just doing things to people just to see if they can do it, and uh, so that was like a, a like a thing that kind of ran up my spine. But at the same time, the way his conscience kicks in, she, he's like he's like pretty much like bitch. You you could be my daughter. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Like like what are you even doing with these assholes here? So you're gonna kill me? He's like nah. And then, you know, we get to that big splash page at the end, and don't you want to see what happens next? We all do. They're, they're, that's, that's, the, that's the little subtle way of breaking uh, the fourth wall. Like, yeah, they're, he's talking to us. Yeah, yeah, of course we want to see what's going on next. But then again, don't forget it's a Walking Dead comic book. Don't get attached to Lucy because she could be dead in the first panel <laughs> in, the next, in the next issue. Uh, my question to you is, did you savor every moment of this? It took me 20 minutes to read this book. I don't think it took me that long, but uh, I, I really did like it for sure. I mean, I I'm gonna tell you all, I uh, I sold those comics. I sold my Walking Dead. That was at the height of its value, right? Um, and as was suggested by my retailers, and uh, I have not regretted it. But I am afraid if I read, I I did didn't stop picking up those issues from that point until the end and so I've got a couple of years of Walking Dead to read because I did not read them out of concern that I would feel like I screwed up like I didn't do the right thing yeah but the stupid well, thing is that there are so many iterations of that story if I want to read it from beginning to end at any given time not only do I have 
I was given all of those omnibus editions. They didn't even take that out of it. I am still getting my books on store credit for one third of what right. I got for those. Right. And I have no idea what they've made off of those issues because they immediately tried to turn them around online. And I'm like, well, it's let, all well okay. let's get let's get back to the book because yeah. I. I I'm, I'm torn about this. There's there's two parts of me that read this book. There was the comic book fervorous fan, and then there was the writer. The writer was what what I don't I want to know what Negan had planned to fuck these guys up because all of a sudden, boom, zombies out of nowhere. That never any they, plan. I think he was trying to figure out a plan because you're you're not digging your own grave trying to figure out a way to get out of it because that's a really fucked up situation to be in, and especially for Negan who has gotten out of everything. And we started out where he's you know why am I still alive and you know he might have been comp- contemplating that. I don't think he was thinking of uh, that he was actually going to be put in that hole. Not to mention that the suspense of whether or not if he's going to impale any of these guys on the broken shards of Lucille of what they find, and then just boom, zombies come out. Oh, did you forget there's zombies? Um, (laughs) Yeah. um, Okay, so there's that. Um, So I enjoyed it. I I savored every moment I could. I I love how Adler, I really feel like he threw some of the artwork back to, like, his original style. Like, it was a little bit. Totally, yeah. A little bit grittier. And then, yeah, we get that really cleaned up Lucy girl. And, uh, yeah, he's not that idiot. Like, when you're screaming at a screen, like, she's obviously one of them. Uh, if she hasn't eaten, how is she so showered and pretty with her, uh, you know, her, her leather, uggish book boots? Oh, I know. Uh, cleavage, hair perfectly quaffed. Um, she's got bracelets on. Uh, she's got this stupid fucking shoulder tattoo. Um we're, we're yelling at the screen for that. But then I'm thinking how I loved hating him, the way I hate heels. Like, you know, I love to hate them, love to hate them, um, or hate to love them. Um, I was hoping that he was going to kill her. I wanted, I wanted, I wanted some grisly revenge to, for us to, to, <laughs> want to want to hate this guy bad enough that's the whole thing you take the bad guy and you focus on them for a while and then if they're supposed to have any redeeming quality you have to have somebody who's doing something considerably worse later i never saw her as the bad guy in this situation because negan is always i said bad guy she's but it it was just it it was so obvious it's just it's that you can take something the whole premise of this issue, you can take something that is so obvious and make it refreshing and entertaining. It, it was refreshing That's and entertaining. what this was. I don't see anything uh, outside of that. It's not that this... I mean, this is, this is taking a formula and creating, creating a new Coke that doesn't suck shit. It's just, well, boom, hey, here's a better Coke than you've ever had. You knew it was going to be Coke. This is the best <laughs> Coke you're ever going to have. I wanted a reason to question him again. Because I've trusted him ever since Carl and him started their little late night forbidden talks. Uh, when Carl would, you know, sneak into the jail and they would have their talks. And then, uh, you know, I, I, that's when I really 
truly fell in love with the character of Negan as opposed to just the entity of him and, and what what he was up to. Because I love bad guys. But yeah. I wanted a reason to question him again right off the bat. That, that's, that's what I wanted. If I was going to write it in, in terms of like, yeah – uh, yeah, he he did cut that. He did try to cut that guy in half with a shovel, but why wouldn't uh, you? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't try to do that in that same yeah. situation. I'm like, dude, Where I've the... got you guys. I've got you guys beat so handily at this point. Dead bang. Know, where do you get off? Like, <laughs> even Negan in that moment had to be thinking to himself, "You fucking chumps." Show up here like this, you bunch of crumb bums, coming in here, you want to take my stuff. If you would have asked, maybe I would have helped you, but I would have ended up ruling you later, and that would have been okay. But you come in here like this, you're not hard enough. For me, he didn't. He didn't big league him like that, though. He, he no. didn't start like me, like you know who the fuck I am. He didn't do any of that shit. No. <laughs> he didn't do any of it. I love that he kept it to himself. I, I, I would have liked a little bit more internal well, dialogue. The, he's he's but, not he's not Hitler, you know. No, he is a no. deposed leader. Who he he's Napoleon on the island after the Napoleonic War with. No, with with no reason to go out and take over the world again. Agreed. Because when you Agreed. had that much power, and it's been taken from you, and they left you alone, and you're not Napoleon, well then, dude, chill, because that was probably exhausting. You want to <laughs> be the guy, you want to be up to your ass in Romulans for the rest of your life? Like... That's, no. that's 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 my favorite new question. Like, do you want to be the guy that someone's coming to at all hours of the day to tell, oh, hey, there's a thing. Then figure it out. <laughs> oh, yeah. hey, there's a thing. What, you got to come to me? I'm the only guy who can answer? Well, it, we can figure it out. We just need you to know that it's happening. Well, great. I was trying to get some rest. Like, that's your life when yeah. you're Negan in charge of the saviors. Well, where do you want this to go? I th- he needs to. I mean, dude, what's the best formula? <clears throat> it's it, okay. It's like it's like pitch black. It's like the Chronicles of Riddick. Yeah. At the oh. end, like what a great switch! At the end of the second movie, he suddenly owns the whole lot of them. <laughs> and of course, what's going to happen? You're constantly having to watch your back because yeah. someone wants to take your place. Well, it happens. So, you know, there you have it. I mean, Negan got away from all of that. Get him out on the freaking road. Give us a character that we can see. Out on the road. Get him out on the road. Give us a character that we can see through their eyes looking at Negan. Or whatever. Because otherwise he's... I don't want him to be like Lobo. I don't want him to be... um, some know-it-all jerk, you know? He's got to have somebody he can bounce things off of. I don't want Negan walking around talking to the spirit of a dead physical item for, yeah. for forever and ever. I want 12 issues, and I'm suspicious of the title that Negan lives because they're going to end it with Negan death. <laughs> Negan dies. Maybe. Why not? Give me 12 issues because you got to give me 12 issues because of how... 
sparse or what's the opposite of dense <laughs> uh, uh, Walking Dead comic book is. Uh, it, it's we we need at least twelve issues to pull off what most comics could do in six. Yeah, yeah, I get that. Yeah, there's there's yeah. a there's a lot of material there. Yeah. I, I mean, get him out on the road. Like I say, get him out on the road. Have him encounter other groups. Have him. I, it doesn't need to be a redemption story. He doesn't need to go out there and kill all of the bad guys that are worse than he ever was. He can skirt the bad guys. It's not his job to go out there and make us like. Don't turn him into a hero. Don't turn him at like. What's the worst thing that ever happened to Wolverine? Well, we made him a superhero instead of being, you know, the the antihero an awesome like Spawn. Antihero. It's the same thing with yeah. the Punisher. When the Punisher comes off being a little bit crazy, instead of somebody who, who, is uh, is motivated, even his friends are scared of him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a certain degree of like, let Negan be Negan. Get him out there, and he helps these guys. Get him out there, and he kills all of these guys. Get him out there, and he rescues some people, and tells them to f off, and he keeps walking. Nobody is consistent when they're that dehydrated and hungry. No one is consistent when they live in a world where they're never comfortable and there's no AC or there's no Good heat. Point. Good where point. you're constantly living under the threat of disembowelment. I mean, let it be inconsistent. Just give us vignettes. I don't care. But just maintain the idea that Negan can continue to be who he is. I like that we've got a Negan logo now. <laughs> I guess we do. We got a Negan typeface. Yeah, we got a Negan typeface, and <laughs> the, the the G is like some broken wrench. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But that's all I got for that, man. I was just glad to slave over it with you, man. I'm gonna go then because we're talking about. Uh, I don't know. You got you got more, or you got I got I got more I can talk about because it, I think that this. Oh, keep going, man. Keep I wanna, going. I want to talk briefly on a, on a TV series that I have uh, I have been mentioning for a while, at least in since January. Matt Matt Damon? No, definitely not Matt Damon. Uh, uh, so since we're talking about the nature of good and evil, in a, in a capacity where it's not always entirely obvious, because you're even asking the question like. Whose laws are we paying attention to? Uh, I recently finished watching uh, in a three-hour binge session The Man in the High Castle. And I've downloaded the book. I can't wait to start listening to it uh, as I'm driving around on this next job. Please. And so Philip K. Dick wrote this book uh, many, many years ago. And it got turned into an Amazon Prime TV series in 2015. And I thought it was a compelling idea, but I didn't get into it. And then suddenly it was over. And I was like, oh, man, I feel like I could have been riding that wave while it was awesome. And then I'll tell you, if I had to wait for it, I might have fallen off of it and then come back. But I never found anybody. I never knew anybody who was like, oh, my gosh, you should be watching this. Oh, my gosh, I'm watching this and this is awesome and I like these characters or this, that and the other. Like, I feel like... It got four seasons because people believed in it at the, uh, you know, in, in, in that company 
But I never heard, I never saw people posting like, oh my god, I love John Smith uh, so much that I, I've got to stick with this program. This is a this is a gutsy, gutsy concept to make out, make TV out of. So, The Man in the High Castle is a story where it's 1962 in America, but it is Nazi-occupied America, the greater Nazi Reich, from the east side of the Rockies all the way to the east coast, and it is the, it is the uh, uh, Japanese Pacific States from the west side of the Rockies all the way to the west coast. Interesting. And, it is an alternate reality where uh, uh, President Roosevelt was assassinated way before he was able to do the New Deal and help try to guide the United States out of the Great Depression. And that, that being the case, the U.S. was way more isolationist by the time the Nazis were kicking everybody's ass in Europe. And uh, the U.S. was not going to get involved when the Nazis managed to get across and eventually deal with Great Britain, uh, ultimately taking over all of North Africa, the Japanese taking over and developing the Greater East Asian Co-Prosperity Sphere. That was actually the name of what they were trying to accomplish in World War II. The U.S. just was a non-entity. And so... When uh, So the show focuses on this, it's been 20 years, it's been a generation of people who grew up under Nazi or uh, Japanese military rule occupation. And uh, the U.S. is controlled from New York. There is a character, like I said, his name is John Smith. He's the Obergruppenfuhrer. He's married. He has a wonderful wife. He has his wonderful son. He has his two darling daughters. And... They are all Nazis. They are aspiring Nazis. They are going to develop into amazing Nazi progeny. Uh, do they? Do they still have like Hitler Youth and all that sort of stuff? And the like. Yeah. What about the? Uh, what about the uh, camps? Well, I don't know. Like retreats for the uh, women that aspire to be Nazi wives. Um. Yes. Yes. And in fact, that comes up more or less in season two. One of the characters, the fascinating thing about this is that there are protagonists in each season who eventually phase out and new protagonists come in. Uh, but it sticks mostly with um, Juliana Crane as the protagonist of the series, uh, the trade minister in San Francisco, the Japanese trade minister, Inspector Kido of the Kempatai, the Japanese police, and then Obergruppenfuhrer Smith and the the sphere of people operating around him. Uh, Joe Blake being one of them, who is a Liebenstrom. Uh, he is a genetically engineered, perfect Aryan guy. Um, oh, wow. And uh, so there, it's, it is made mention that there were camps where women were uh, impregnated with perfect Aryan babies and stuff like that. Uh, and then it's also, uh, in the fourth season, Himmler's wife is, uh, a, is giving um, Helen Smith a hard time because she's not perpetuating the ideal of a perfect Nazi mother and wife any longer. And uh, 
That's scary. It is scary. Uh, the Smiths enjoy... That you're not Nazi enough? Better, wow. They enjoy better freedoms in the first season when... Like like what? Well, I mean, their lives are are under the microscope, but the higher they climb in Nazi society, the more dangerous every single thing in their lives, every decision they make, every everything they say... The scrutiny is enormous. Uh, and the pressures just get more and more and more for this guy who is the villain of the series. But you find yourself rooting for him. You find yourself rooting for Nazis. You find yourself crying over the death of Nazi characters in this series because they write it that well? Yes, because the characters... You, you're, you're sitting here looking at this kid who has multiple, scler- multiple sclerosis. That's a huge part of the plot. And you know they have to let him go. That You know they have to let him die. And it's like this horrible choice. It's the beginning of the end. You know, when you've got these right. characters who are that high in this society. And then you've got characters on the other side of the country, which is technically a whole other country, where you've got Juliana, who is a woman coming back from a, an injury. And she's an Aikido brown belt or black belter. And uh, she got hit by a bus. And you, it's always asked, you know, like, what, what happened to her? She lost faith. She couldn't believe she was still living in a world where they were under occupation. And she walked in front of a bus and she survived it. And her, her husband or her, her boyfriend, live-in boyfriend, Frank Frank Frank, uh, who is Jewish in San Francisco, he has to keep his Jewish identity under wraps because of the... Uh, grinding but mutually beneficial relationship between the Nazi, the greater Nazi Reich and the Jewish Pacific states. You know, well, why do you let these Negroes still live in your country, they would ask. And why do you still let, you know, if you had Jews living here, wouldn't you send them our way to get rid of them? How is this, like, okay, so my my question is okay so Philip K Dick wrote this obviously he wasn't a white supremacist uh he was more no, of a, 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 sci-fi a very writer. sci-fi yeah well not just that but the, the guy was someone that was able to take what's happening in or in figure out where it might end up going because i feel like yes. a lot of times yes, his books precisely. were 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 written from a sense that like i'm really scared that this might happen like 1982 or um, 1984 84, sorry, I always get that wrong. Um, but then again, I, I worry about it because I feel like the the wrong people are going to find this book and be like, hey, no, blueprint, no. baby. This blueprint. is the answer. But, but, what I understand in the book is that there is a... What what happens in, our, in, in a repressive society is that someone will eventually develop... Some, some creative, some member of the intelligentsia will eventually write something produce something creative that challenges the status quo. 
Well, in this in the book, I know that a book that people are reading is called uh, "The Grasshopper Lies Heavy." In the TV series, <clears throat> Juliana's sister appears, and she has a film reel, and there's a tape okay. on it that says "The Grasshopper Lies Heavy," and she brings it home and she watches it, and she shows it to her boyfriend, and it shows the Allies winning World War II twenty years ago. Wow. And the footage is too real for this oh. to have been faked. Oh. And what she eventually discovers through the course of the first season is that this comes from a parallel universe. Awesome. And every time anyone sees this film or a film like it, it it's 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 like being awakened from the Matrix. Okay. Awesome. And they know that that's not their world, but they, they, they realize there's, A, there's got to be a way to get there. B, there's got to be a way for them to help us. And C, there's got to be a way for us to get out of this, whatever this is. If they can be beaten anywhere, we can beat them here. That's awesome. That's and awesome. that is how the whole series goes. Like, Juliana starts off a broken person who has just got over the biggest hurdle of her life and then sees this thing and it, she, you know, is she going to become some kind of a revolutionary? Is she going to, is, is, is her boyfriend going to help out with that? Is their best friend going to become an, a, a helper in this or a liability? Uh, the Kempatai, the, the Japanese police are brutal towards anything, everything that challenges their authority. And then, of course, you've got this character floating back and forth from San Francisco to the, to the neutral zone between the two superpowers, the Rocky Mountains, uh, and you've got him going back and forth to New York. That's Joe Blake, who is an agent of... He's, he's one of the Nazis, but he's going back and forth. He falls in love with Juliana. Is he going to help her or is he going to inform on her or is he going to use her or is he going to protect her? It's just, dude, you never know what's going to happen in that first It's on Amazon Prime. It's on Amazon Prime, yeah. I've got Uh, Prime. It is a dark, oppressive series. And I, I had to stop watching it when COVID started because I would watch an episode and I was so heavily ingrained in what was going on that I would get up, I would pause it, and I would get up to go get another coffee, and I had to shake my head. I was like, I'm not in this world. Oh, my God, I'm right. not in that world. And then because COVID started, and I was like, I need better morale. I cannot sit here loud thinking and clear. about this fascism. Because it, it, it could be happening, but also at the same time, one of the uh, luxuries we had before any of it happened mm-hmm. COVID-wise was that we could put the book down and go and oh, yeah. be happy. Yeah, go go to a bar. Go to a bar. Go go hug your friend. Yeah, we couldn't do that. It was just up to me, and I, you know, to take care of myself. And all I could do was, okay, stock my fridge, stock my pantry, uh, maintain my nutrition, maintain my health, maintain my distance, look after people over the phone. You know, maintain myself. That's that's what I could do. And like like I say, it's an oppressive series. You will know. The atmosphere of this show, when you get to the opening credits of every single episode, 
Okay. The song Edelweiss, sung in the way it is sung, and the imagery that is portrayed in the opening credits, will you will dial in immediately. Uh, Juliana Crane is portrayed by... Um, Oh my god, I can't think of her name suddenly. I'm going to have to look it up. She was... We mentioned Pitch Black earlier. Yeah. Uh, or... or um, Chronicles I'm looking of it Riddick. up. Keep talking. Keep she talking. Was, I'm looking it up. Uh, yeah. The man in the high castle. There we go. Oh, I totally mis- misspelled that. Um, she was... Uh, she was the female counterpart to uh, Vin Diesel in... Um, in uh, Pitch Black, Pitch not Pitch Black, the other one. She was growing Chronicles up in of the Riddick. second one, Chronicles of Riddick. Uh, Alexa Davalos, Dav- Davalos, yeah, Alexa Davalos. Um, uh, oh, DJ Qualls is in this. DJ I Qual- Qualls is in the first three episodes, first three seasons, and Shang Tsung is, is in it. So good, so good. Uh, Joel De La Fuente. I I cannot believe his acting range. Uh, he was so lovable in Space Above and Beyond as Paul Wang, uh, a, a U.S. Uh, U.S. Marine, like a space marine in that series, and to pl- to have him playing ambassador uh, to play um, uh, Inspector Keto in this, he is a terrifying villain, but you end up loving him too, like. You know, what's he going to do? What's he going to do? Like, everybody's story arcs are so impressive in this series. Rufus Sewell is playing uh, John Smith, Uber Group and Fuhrer John Smith. And, dude, like, you just constantly choking on, the, on concern for these people's lives. There is just danger oh, and he was in Dark everywhere. City. Yeah, he was the protagonist in Dark City. That, that movie ruled, but hey, man, I got to get to work in the morning. Yeah, for real. Uh, I'm just going to say, yeah, guys, check this show out if you haven't seen it. Uh, stick with it. Five, six episodes. See where it goes because uh, it's different every single season. It's fascinating. Um, yeah, that's what I got on that one. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, for, thank you, uh, everybody, for everything. And uh, <laughs> we'll shut it down right now. <laughs> this is dangerous. This transmission is over.